Amen. God has a purpose for each and every one of us, each and every one of you. God has a purpose for you, and he's placed you where he's placed you so that you could accomplish the purpose for which he created you. You are his wonderful masterpiece, and he created you and placed you where you are with the purpose that he has to be accomplished through you. And church, you know, each and every one of you, you're in a circle somewhere. God's put you in a circle of people, a circle of circumstance, a circle of work, of where he's got you. He's got you in that place, and it's a place that God wants you to be the light. He, he didn't call me to that circle. He called me to encourage you so that when you go into that circle, you'll go make a difference. You'll go lead them to Jesus Christ, that you'll go shine the light of God into that place. Amen. That's your purpose. And he's put you in that place for that purpose. That's why God doesn't just take us out of here when we come to Christ. Amen. Sometimes we get awfully selfish in everything. We think that our salvation is just simply about us. Our salvation is for the glory of the Father. Amen. And he leaves us here to shine that glory, to reflect that glory, to, to see that glory in the circle in which God has placed us. Oh, God didn't, he didn't save you to take you out of those places. He will deliver you, but he didn't necessarily take you out of those places. God saved you so that you could take him into those places. Are we doing what God has called us to do? Because you'll never find satisfaction. You'll never find fulfillment in this lifetime. We won't find it in relationships. We won't find it in pleasure. We won't find it in comfort. We won't find it in food. We won't find it in all of these things that become even addictive in our lives because we're looking for that place of purpose so that I can be fulfilled. We'll never find it in anything other than the purpose of God in our life, that place where we begin to understand and see the masterpiece that God has created in me. You may think it sounds prideful, but I find it to be comforting that I am God's masterpiece, created in Christ to do the good works that God has, has, has called me in advance and set in place for me to do. That's not of my own doing, but of his. And you are too. Will we step up and be who God has called us and saved us to be in the place that God has called us to minister. Amen. Amen? Amen? So be it. Come on, practice. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I, I need your help today. Last night's service, this morning's service, they, they just wouldn't amen me. Come on. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. I'm just getting you practiced up and warmed up, okay? We, we are going to, I'm, I'm going to preach to you anyway, so you might as well look for places to say amen. amen. So be it. Amen. 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 All right, we are moving, continuing in, uh, in Luke chapter 4. You can take and go to Luke chapter 4, and uh, you can also then flip over to 2, Corinthians, or 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to go back and forth. I, uh, I, I've been telling the other services, I'll tell you as well, this is one of these places, one of these sections of scripture. You know, sometimes, let's just face it, sometimes we have to really dig into the word of God because it's just hardened ground and we just have to dig in. And, and sometimes studying the word of God, 
and, and don't take this wrong, but sometimes studying the Word of God isn't always just a pleasure. Sometimes it's a digging, and, and, and my brain gets sore, and it's like, ah. Uh, and sometimes it's real, it's work. And I don't mind because of what comes out of it, you know? Digging in a gold mine is work. Amen. This has been a pleasure. I, just, these stories that God has used through this ministry of Jesus has absolutely just been such a pleasure to dive into and to dig into. And, and coming first in that place, a couple weeks ago, we talked about what prophets are, how prophets would, would be those that God would place his spirit upon, his word was come to them, and then they would speak the word of God to the people of God. That was the prophet. They were, they were literally writing scripture with their mouth. And we today are the recipients of still that same word of God that came through those prophets. And Moses talked about a prophet that would come out of the people, the capital P prophet, the final prophet, the, the, the real, the prophet that would fulfill the word of God. He would be the fulfillment of what God said. He would come not just to declare the word, but to be the word. And Jesus came in many roles, but it was he walked in the flesh. He also, he operated in that place of prophet. And so Jesus, in that prophetic ministry, comes to preach in Nazareth. We, we talked about that. Nazareth is hometown. Nazareth was a place where the people were the most familiar with Jesus. They, they grew up with him. They saw him grow up. They were, they were absolutely and completely familiar with this little boy. They saw him and knew him and knew who he was. And, and so Jesus, the prophet now, is coming to his hometown, Nazareth. And he comes into the synagogue and he begins to preach. And, and again, we need a, when you're reading the Word of God, you need to look a little deeper into what it is that's going on here. So why did God tell us and put in the Scripture this story about Nazareth? Why didn't he use one of the other little cities that he was preaching in? Jesus had gone to many other places already. He had begun his ministry and was preaching in synagogues in the area. And so why didn't, why didn't God tell us about that? Why is this story here? And we need to understand, why is this story here? And so we dig into that. Let's look at that. Jesus comes to his hometown, and he begins to preach. And he begins to preach in a prophetic way. And he begins to speak the word of God. All right, he comes and he declares. He speaks Isaiah chapter 61. He, he, he quotes that out of the scripture. And then he sits down and says, I'm the one that will fulfill. I am the fulfillment of that scripture. He said, he said, I am God. And they looked at him and they said, no, you're Joseph's son. See, he was now messing with their religion. And, and, he, and the people responded in that way. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus just, you know, he, he, he knows how to do, he knows how to handle everything. And Jesus, he goes right into this place about a prophet in his hometown, and he's not going to be received, and he tells these two stories. One we talked about last week, but these two stories, they, I've read through them a bunch of times. These two stories elicit this response from these people in the synagogue in Nazareth that just seems a little out of, out of whack. 
And so why is it that these two stories made these people so angry? What is it that set them off like that? I think we should understand that. There's a reason that it did, and we should understand why. And so we started to dig into these stories, and we talked about Elijah and the, the, this pagan, poor, pauper widow in a pagan land that God sent Elijah to. And I talked about that last week out of 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm not going to go back through that, but the story was about a prophet and what the prophet did, where God sent the prophet to go. And then he goes to and continues to preach. He's like, I'm not done yet, guys. I know you're getting angry with me, but hold on because I haven't provoked you to wrath yet. And he begins to preach about Elisha, another prophet. Another prophet story here, and the leper, which is, again, he's quoting from 2 Kings chapter 5. And so I'm not going to go through the entire story in Luke right now. We're going to focus in on what he's saying here in verse 27. So this is Jesus. He's preaching to these people, these religious people in the synagogue in Nazareth, the place where they're the most familiar with him. And in verse 27, he says, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. Now, Elisha was the successor of Elijah. Elijah, we talked about last week, and he placed his mantle upon Elisha, and he goes on to proceed and to continue in the prophetic ministry. And so uh, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So I want to take a look at this and see why did that make them so mad? Now, first off, we have to understand a little bit about lepers. You know, what is a leper? Because lepers, they occupy a very interesting place in Scripture. They're all through Scripture from the beginning all the way on through. We see lepers being talked about over and over and over again. And let me tell you, this is a disease you definitely do not want. I, I did a Google search. I was going to try to find some images. I thought, oh, I'm talking about lepers. Let me find some leper images, and I'll put them up on the screen. Not a good idea. It's, it's, it's a hideous, disgusting disease. It is, I mean, it is something you do not want. It is debilitating. It is nasty. It is a skin disease that, you know, you, you can't even hide it. It's just absolutely, your limbs are covered with these cankerous sores and these sores are oozing and they're breaking open and, and they're covered. And not only that, not only does it look disgusting, but they stink. I mean, not only does it look horrible, it smells horrible. Not only can you see a leper, you can smell one. Because this disease is just absolutely horrifying. Flesh starts falling off of your body. You lose feeling so that you don't even know when you've burned yourself or cut yourself. And limbs are, literally parts of your body are falling off. Your, body, your face is covered with these disfiguring wounds and, and parts of your face start to fall off. It's, it is a horrible, grotesque disease. It's a mess. And in that day, they believed it to be highly contagious. So when somebody had leprosy, they were exiled. They were sent to a leper colony or they were sent to a place where they, the lepers had formed a colony. It was a place, honestly, it was a place where people went to die. They were exiled. They were sent out of the city, not allowed back in. They were sent out into the desert. Literally, just go die, you hideous mess. 
And that was the, that was the hope of a leper. And Jesus, in talking to the people in the synagogue of Nazareth, takes them to this story in 2 Kings chapter 5. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, I thought, well, if Jesus took us to this story, I think maybe we should try to understand a little better from this story what these people probably understood already in a better context than maybe what we do today. I will tell you, we're going to walk through this story. I am, this is not an exhaustive study. Okay, I'll tell you, I probably left more stuff out of what I learned as I was studying through this than what I'm adding in. My hope and prayer is that what we'll do is is we'll, we'll see why this brought and provoked the kind of wrath that it did and what is the message that God wants to bring to us through these scriptures here. So in 2 Kings chapter 5, in verse 1, we meet this man that Jesus just talked about, this man Naaman. It says, Naaman, he was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. So this guy, he's commander of the army of Syria. This guy's a big deal. He's not just some private. He's the commander. Means that he's a warrior. This guy knows how to fight. This guy knows how to lead men in in a battle. He knows how to win because he's conquered nations. He destroyed the enemy. He did great and mighty exploits for his lord, the king of Syria. He was a man that had been given great authority. Everybody bowed down and did what Naaman told them to do. And he is a Syrian by birth. Now, let me just ask you, do Syrians love the people of God? No, No, they do not. They did not in that day. They have never been friendly towards the Israelites. Even still today, if you go to the border of Israel and Syria, the Syrians have snipers posted on their border to make sure to keep those Israelites out. It's not a good relationship. And it wasn't in this time. So Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, he was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given him victory, or given victory to Syria. By him the Lord, with the capital L, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He had conquered God's people. And he had conquered God's people and God had allowed it. God allowed them to be taught a lesson because the people of God were a bunch of rebellious, hard-hearted, stiff-necked, self-centered religious people that just continued to reject the word of God. Well, how do you know they rejected the word of God? Because they killed the prophets who brought the word of God. I don't like what he's saying. Kill him. And so God allowed this. And you know, God will, listen, God can use anything and everyone. God can use the godless to teach a lesson to the godly. That's what he's doing here. Is that because God wants to punish? No, it's because God loves us and he knows that through his plan, he has a better way. And he wants to bring us, and he's always working to bring us, always has been working to bring us into a better way, into his way. And so, Naaman, he was... um, He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So Naaman, 
This guy, he can, he can rule an army. He can lead an army to victory. He can win in battle. He can cause all men to be submitted unto him. He's got, and we'll find out, all kinds of money. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. This guy's got more power, more authority than what, I mean, you can imagine. And the guy hadn't do nothing to get rid of this problem of leprosy. He's got an issue that there's nothing he can do about it. He's a leper. He's got a desperate need. And then in verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids, and again, on one of their raids, which means there were multiple raids, I think about what it must have been like to go on raids. I, the only raid I know is the refrigerator. <laughs> and I conquer. <laughs> but again, you know, today we, we, don't, we just don't understand what that's like, you know, to have to like get up off the couch. I've been on raids before. <laughs> but these guys, these guys went on raids. That, and, and what that means is we are going to take our biggest, our toughest guys, and we are going to go into your country, and we're going to take your stuff. Oh, you don't like it? Too bad. We're going to take your stuff and we're going to make it ours. And we're going to take your people and we're going to make them our slaves. So that's what they did. They went in to Israel and they took what was Israel's and they made it their own. Now again, you don't, they didn't take the wimpy guys in to do this. They took the guys who knew how to fight. They took battle-worthy, battle warriors. They took them in, and that's who they used in this time. That's who they took. These were some bad guys. These were tough guys. Just see this. These, these were bad dudes that went with them, and they would go in, and it says they carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman, or Naaman's wife. So, I, again, I, I trying to just put a situation together where we could understand how it might feel. This may not work really well, but I'm going to go ahead and use the illustration anyway. Can you imagine if Canada raided the United States? <laughs> I know. Hard to believe. <laughs> not the greatest illustration because, like, Canada... <laughs> No offense to you Canadians, but you're not very scary. <laughs> but imagine that the Canadians came in, and they came in and raided us, the United States, and they took a bunch of our valuables, and they came in and they took our junior high kids. <laughs> not the response I was looking for. I, I know. Two things that came up a couple times as I made this statement earlier. One is they'll be back. <laughs> Two <laughs> dumb Canadians. No, but just, just imagine. These are our kids. Imagine they came in and they took our kids. They came in and they took our little girls. They took them out of our arms. They took our little boys. They took them out and they took them and they made them their slaves. 
Just imagine for a moment how that would be, you know, for us. This would be really tough. Something that none of us want to deal with. We'd be sad. We'd be really upset about this. Like they took our kids. Well, that's what the Syrians did. They came in and they kidnapped these kids. They kidnapped them and made them their slaves. They came and they took their stuff. And then, so again, keeping that in mind. And also remember this, that in that day, they, they considered leprosy to be highly contagious. So Naaman has leprosy, a highly contagious disease. So I can, again, I can only imagine, you, you probably would agree, that with no matter who he is, the commander didn't matter. You know what? The guy's got leprosy. I could imagine his wife wasn't real encouraged to be up close and personal with him. But Naaman needed to fulfill his urges. And I just only wonder how that might have been accomplished. Well, here we have some slave girls, some Israelite slave girl. And she, the, this girl, this junior high age girl, and I just assume the girl, so, who loves the Lord of the Bible. She grew up learning about him, and she loved him. And she said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. What? Why in the world would she let that little tidbit out? Ever wonder what, what's, what's wrong with this girl? Why in the world would she say that? And the only, the only conclusion that I could come to is that this little girl, little junior high girl, she's really, really nice. Church, nice is remembered. Here we are talking about her in the scriptures. Nice is a whole lot, hey, nice is a whole lot easier to remember than bitterness and unforgiveness and spitefulness and hatred. Mean-spiritedness. Well, that's just the way I am. No, that's just the way you are, and you use that as an excuse. God never made you to be mean. He made you to be nice, kind, gentle. And that will get you a whole lot further in life than being mean-spirited. This little girl, she's nice. And she comes and she says, oh, you know what, mistress, I, I, I worship the God of the Bible. And he heals people. And there's this prophet in Samaria named Elisha. And then she says, maybe... Maybe, maybe we should send, you know, the guy that kidnapped me, the guy that took me from my parents, the guy that took me out of my country and out of my nation, out of my family, the guy who took me and made me his slave, the guy who I don't know all the things that he probably had, had possibly done. I, you know that guy? Maybe we should send him to Israel so he can be cured of his leprosy. Who does that? You know who does that? This little girl. 
And so verse four, so Naaman went in and told his Lord. I want you to see this. Naaman already has a Lord and they understand this whole thing of Lord. We don't understand Lord like they understood Lord. We love to have Jesus as our savior, but there's not, not as many that like him as Lord. Because Lord means you're fully and completely submitted to them. When they say go, you go. When they say don't, you don't. When you go ask for permission. And you know what Naaman's doing here? Naaman is going to his Lord because he wants a word for his, from his Lord. And he goes in there to get a word. And thus in, he says, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And in verse 5, and the king of Samaria, his Lord, gave him a word. And he said this, now go and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he got a word from his Lord and he obeyed. He did what his Lord said to do. And this, because it's, you know, he's crossing, you know, going into countries and crossing borders, it becomes this international kind of incident that's happening here. This would have been a big deal. It, was a, it would have been a big deal today. Can you imagine the headlines? I mean, what it would have been that would have been reported in the news if this had been like today? Syrian commander sent into Israel to visit the prophet to be healed of his leprosy. That would be all over. CNN would cover that. It would be in every kind of magazine, every, I mean, Twitter would be blowing up. Facebook would be boo, 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 all up and down, back and forth. It would be everywhere. This would be big news. And it wasn't this time. Everybody's paying attention. This guy, this warrior, this man of war, this man who leads the commander, he's the commander of the Syrian army, he has leprosy. And by the word of his Lord, he's going to the enemy to put himself into what I think would be potentially a very humiliating situation. Hi, guys, I I come from your enemies and I'm here today. and, And by the way, thank you for the junior high girls. But I I come today because I got this problem and I came to see the prophet and I want to be healed of my leprosy. I I think that this would be a humbling, humiliating even situation. And so in verse 5, he goes on and he says, So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, which again comes out to right around 1,500 pounds of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, which is about 3,800 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. I, I looked, and you can look this up if you want to, but I looked and looked in all sorts of commentaries and all sorts of places to try to find out how much does that become in today's world? How much money is that? And I mean, commentators had all sorts of different ideas on all of this. And, uh, you know, it, it was anywhere they had said, people said from, you know, $100 million up to a billion dollars. Me just trying to do the math and breaking it all down at today's prices. I, it, I come out, it's about $100 million worth of stuff. This guy's taking a load of cash. And he's going into Israel with this money because he really wants to get over his leprosy. This guy really wants to get I mean, taken care of. He's a powerful, powerful man, and he's got a ton of money. It'd be like Bill Gates walking in the door and saying, hey, I need you guys to help me with something. I need you to do this for me. And you know what? Here's a credit card with a $100 million credit limit. Go ahead. 
But what Bill Gates or, and what Naaman certainly does not understand is they do not understand the God of Israel. They don't understand the God of the Bible. Because our God, church, our God is a God of grace. Our God is generous because our God is a good God. It's who he is. And the difference between Christianity and religion is that a religion, religion assumes that God is bad and you gotta make him good by doing good stuff. You need to pray. You have to pray. You have to give. You have to tithe. You have to serve. You have to do these things. You have to. Why? So you can manipulate God to be good because if you don't do those things, God won't be good. Christianity, the Bible, teaches that God is, is good. He doesn't have to become good. He is good. Our God is gracious. Our God is generous. We don't, listen, we don't have to make God be good. He is good. We don't have to make God be generous. He is generous, church. And this guy, he rolls in thinking he's going to buy the favor of God. I want God to heal me. How much is it going to cost? I got enough cash. I think I got plenty. How much is it? He rolls in and wants to go to the religious people and find out how much is a leprosy healing. How much do I need? Church, people still do this. People walk through the doors. They come into the church, and they got a big problem. Marriage is falling apart. Sickness. Problems in other areas, don't know what to do about it. And they come into the church. And one of the first things people think is, is, okay, how much do I have to give? How much do I have to pray? How much do I have to serve? How much do I have to do to get God to do what I need him to do? And people still do this to this day. How much do I have to do? How much, how much do you have to do? Church, the answer it's nothing. It's grace. It's all about grace. We don't get what we deserve. Praise God. Don't ask God for what you deserve. Ask him for grace. God pours out because of his grace. Doesn't mean we don't give to God. Doesn't mean we don't support the works and do what God's called us to do. But church, listen, we don't do it to manipulate God. Listen, if you're giving because you think that your giving is going to cause you to get, don't give because you're just trying to manipulate God to get God to do what you want God to do. And God is not a God that will be manipulated. You're not going to be able to manipulate God. We don't give to get God to give us what we want. We give because of what God has already given us, what God has already done for us. We give because we love God, because he first loved us. And that's why we do what we do. We, listen, we can't think that we can buy God or the favor of God. You're not going to do that. You're not going to manipulate God. Okay, God's not going to be manipulated. Listen, God doesn't need what you have. He gave it to you. There's only one thing that God needs. That's your heart. All the others, outside stuff, that's not what he's after. He wants your heart. And you know what? Only the Holy Spirit can change your heart. 
Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And that doesn't come by being purchased. That comes by the grace of a loving God who already, who already paid the price so that you could freely receive what God intended for you. It's all by grace. And so in verse 6, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel. So he brought the word of his Lord to the king of Israel. And so it read this, said, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. Ah, no challenge there. And so, so the king gets this letter. Hey, I, okay, I'm sending Naaman, cure him of leprosy. And he gets the letter, and when the king of Israel read the letter, verse 7, he tore his clothes. So the king of Israel responds, and, and the tearing of clothes is a place of deep mourning. It's a place of terrible grief. I mean, that's what happened when somebody was in just absolute heartache, pain. And, and the king, he, he tore his clothes and said this, Am I God to kill and to make a lie that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. So, so the king's like, you gotta be kidding. You're sending me a letter telling me to heal this man of an incurable disease? Why would you do this? Why did you do, oh, okay, uh, dear king of Israel, cure the leper, love the king of Syria. Why would you do that? You know I can't do that. I can't. This is an international situation, and this is not going to work out good. This is not going to do it. You know, if I don't heal him, what are they going to do? If I don't heal him, the king's going to get mad, so he's telling me to do something that's impossible. He's going to get mad when I can't do the impossible, and therefore, he's going to come back down, and he's going to take more of our junior high kids. This is a no-win. What in the world is he doing this for? And again, this is just amazing stuff because you know what? The Bible is historical, it's factual, and who could make this up? And in verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, heard that he was in deep grief and agony, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Hey, bud, what's going on? You're the king of Israel. You're the king here. Why don't you know what to do? Why are you in such grief? Can't you handle it? And Elisha says, let him come now to me, that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. Amen. He's saying, let Naaman bring the word of his Lord over to me, and we'll show him that the word of my Lord rules over the word of his. Amen. Come, bring him. Bring on the leper, I'll take him. Bring him to the word of God. Bring him to the presence of God. And the king, I'm sure, was like, praise God, somebody's gonna take him. <laughs> and Elisha, he, it's not even flinching. It's like, you know what? My God can do whatever it is my God desires to do. There's nothing that's impossible for him. And if God sent this leper from Syria, the commander of the army, to come here to Israel with a letter from his Lord, let him bring it to my Lord. Amen. 
Bring him to me. Let him come. And again, I don't, I don't believe this to be in any sort of arrogance at all. He's not like, like prophets today. He's not wearing a, you know, a big hat with a giant P on it. He doesn't have a prophet across his back. He, you know what? It's not what they did in that day. Again, it's not like, let me just show him who I am. Look, I'm a prophet. You know what a prophet usually ended up as? Dead. The people didn't like that. The people didn't like when God spoke to a man and a man spoke to the people uh, the word of God. And the people got mad. And they would kill them. So it's not something that you would, you know, want to promote necessarily. But you know what Elisha did? Elisha accepted his God-given position. Good, bad, he accepted it. Listen, have you accepted your God-given position? Have you accepted what God has called you to? Have you accepted the position? Elisha did, and he welcomes this leper, this person with this impossible situation. And then, and then verse nine. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots. Now, again, realize Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, he comes with all these chariots and all these horses. I don't know how many was there, but he's got a full posse. And they're everywhere. Can't you, I mean, again, I can imagine that Naaman was like, you know what? I'm not getting sabotaged. Nobody's ambushing me. I got plenty of guys. I got plenty of warriors with me. We came in. We've done these raids. I know they don't like us. I'm taking plenty of guys with me. Plus, I got like five, 6,000 pounds of money and 10, clo- 10 changes of clothing. <laughs> And so Naaman, he's there, and he's got this house surrounded. You know, he's got everything is, you know, there. He comes to the, uh, the door of, of Elisha's house. Just see, I mean, the house has to almost seem like it's surrounded by all these guys. This important man with a letter from his king sent to, to the king of Israel who sends him over to his house. Why? Because he told him to. Amen. And in verse 10, <laughs> So verse 9, finishing that, he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And verse 10, I love this, and Elisha sent a messenger to him. Did Elisha even come out? He didn't even come out. This, this high, this, this guy, the he, he, most important guy and his armies are all around. He's got loads of cash with him. And Elisha, he, he, he says to his servant, hey, just go tell him. Just, just, just go say to him. This guy comes from another country. He's got diplomatic immunity. He's got a letter from his Lord. He comes with a full entourage of soldiers and army members. And he comes into this place as the commander with, with millions of dollars. And Elisha's like, hey, servant or Gehazi, whichever one it was. He's, hey, you know what? Uh, go tell him it's lunchtime. I don't really have time. I don't feel like getting up out of my recliner here. And, and go tell him what to do. Go tell him. 
what I said. Do any of you, have any of you ever thought, man, these prophets are rude? Come on, I mean, last week we talked about Elijah. How rude was it for Elijah to go to a poor pagan widow who's got a handful of flour and a couple drops of oil and say, I'd like to eat that. And here, he sends word to the king, king, send this guy over to me. And the king sends this guy, Naaman, the commander, to his door. And he comes with full entourage. And Elisha won't even get up out of his chair and go talk to the guy. Doesn't that sound rude? I prayed about that. Why in the world would he say that? And church, and some of you need to hear this. The truth is this. That oftentimes... You don't need to meet with the man of God. You need to obey the word of God. Amen. You, don't need the wor- you don't need the man of God. You need the word of God. Elisha didn't come out because Elisha didn't need to come out. Amen. He didn't need to come out and make this all about him. He didn't want, hey, look at me. I, look at the big new hat I got. Look at the wonderful robe that I have. Look at the beautiful magic wand that I have. He didn't have to come out and do all that because Naaman didn't need to meet with Elisha. He needed to meet with the word of God. And that didn't require Elisha to deliver it. You know what? He didn't need to come and, and, you know, see this special thing. Hey, Elisha, come in. You know what? You know, God, God's going to do this. God's going to do that. And God sent, and God through, through Elisha, he sends the servant out to Naaman and says, you know what? You, you don't need to meet with me. You, need, you just need to take the word of God. God's going to speak to you. And then you have the responsibility to go do what God said to do. You don't need to meet with a magic holy man because there is no magic holy man. Church, there is one holy man. His name is Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Lord and Savior. And again, please don't take this wrong. But oftentimes, church, And again, not that it's not good for you to meet with your pastor and not that it's not good for you to meet with and spend time with a spiritual leader or all of that. But you know what? For many, God's already told you what to do. Just do it. Let me say that again because some of you aren't hearing that. God's already told you what to do. Just do it. You know what? You're reading through the scriptures and you see a place in scripture where God says, you know what? You need to do this. Then do it. You come through the word of the prophets, the word of God, and God says through the prophet, don't do this. Then stop doing that. You know how many problems could be eliminated if we would just do that? If we would do what God said to do and not do what God said not to do, 
When God has opened up his word through the prophets for us and he tells you what to do, just do it. You don't need to meet with somebody. You don't need a pastor's confirmation on that. You don't need a holy man to tell you what to do. Don't come to me and think that you're going to get a word from me that's going to be different than God so that you can do something. Don't, don't come to me when you're in an unequally yoked situation and in a relationship and you know that God has said this and you come to me telling me how much you're in love and how great it is and how wonderful it is. And so that I can say, but God said, don't be unequally yoked. You don't need to be in this relationship. And then what do you do? You get mad at me. And you leave the church and you get all upset because he's trying to control me. No, I'm trying to tell you what the word of God says. And you go out, but I'm in love and it doesn't apply to me because I'm the exception to the clause. And so you go out and you get into this unequally yoked relationship and just a couple of months later, you're going through hell because what God said would happen is happening. What a shock. (laughs) And you know what the problem is? I'm still the jerk to you. I don't know if that's good or not. I did not hear that, so. Listen, the fact is this just do it. God said it, do it. So now again, now listen here. So Elisha tells him, he sends the, sends the, the um, uh, servant and he sends him to him. He says this, he says, go wash in the Jordan. Now, again, I wondered how far away is that? So I looked it up and the Jordan from where they were about 40 miles. What? Why do I have, I, I, why do, I have to do that? I've already come across Syria. I've already come into Israel. Why do I need to go another 40 miles? You're the prophet. You can't do that here? Why do I have to do that? Come on. Oh, how many of us have been in situations where God has told us something and spoken to our heart or the word of God or, or the pastor has said something that's challenged you and you're like, what? Why? Why do I need to do that? And so he's gone already across the country and then he comes and the servant through Elisha says, I want you to go another 40 miles and I want you to go wash in the Jordan River. How many times? Seven times? That's dumb. Wash in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. How many of you, if you came in these doors and you had an impossible situation, you you had an affliction in your flesh or a relationship, and there was just no hope to it anymore, and I said, you know what? If you'll just go to Nevada and find this river and dip yourself into it seven times, not six, seven times, 
God will fix the situation. Everyone but Chris would be saying, listen, we'd be all like, no, not going to Nevada, that's stupid. What if I just said, okay, tomorrow, you got the situation, tomorrow, I just want you to go home and take seven showers. Get in, soap up, rinse off, get out, dry off, and then get back in. Get wet, wash up, get dry, rinse off, get out, dry off, and then get back in. Seven times. There's a first for everything, huh, buddy? If I, if, I said that, if I said that to you, to go do that, you would be like, no. No. Why? Because that's weird. That's just plain weird. Why in the world would I do that? That's weird. I don't care. I don't care if nobody's looking. Get in the shower, get out of the shower, get in the shower, get out of the shower. I'm not going to do that. I don't care. I don't like, listen, it'll make me feel weird. I don't want to be weird, so I'm not going to do it. And Naaman's like, I don't care if this is a diplomatic situation. I don't care if that's what Elijah said. I think it's stupid and it's dumb and I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. Why? Because I don't like feeling weird. Oh, come on. How many of us have not done what God has called us to do because we don't like looking weird? How many of you have missed an opportunity at the altar because God called you to the altar and you said, I don't like feeling weird? Oh, not that there's magic at the altar, please, no. There is no magic. There's power in obedience. Faith without deeds is dead. The commands of God, when God speaks a command, the command of God is filled with power. And the way you unleash that power is by faith that comes through or is reflected through your obedience. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And here, I mean, it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And in verse 11, it says that because of all this, it says Naaman was angry. Naaman got mad. Why? Why did he get mad? Because I don't like it. No, I don't want to. We do this with God all the time. We go to God, we open up the Bible, we got this situation, and, and God says, do this. And we say, no. Do this. No. Mark, do this. No. Finally, God's like, well, guess who's in charge? Listen, some of us need, we need to understand, God's not a negotiator. He, he's not like, oh, no, Naaman's mad. I didn't see that coming. What, what do I do now? Oh, man, this is a problem. No, God didn't say, God's like, 
do this? No. We're going to go round and round this mountain. Maybe 40 years, but we're going to continue to go round and round this mountain. And Naaman, verse 11 says, Naaman was angry and he went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman thought that he would go to the man of God and he'd come out and do some magic potion stuff, that he'd come out and wave a magic wand, he'd come out with his big hat and he would just speak over him, maybe slap him on the back of the head or something like that, and he'd cure the leper. He, you know what he thought? He thought that God was going to come out and do the same kinds of things in their pagan rituals that he grew up with. He thought that he was going to go to God and God was going to do the same voodoo stuff that he did in their temple. And again, that's, this is what people want. Church, people oftentimes, they want God to do what they want without having to do what God wants. It's oftentimes what happens. And so Naaman's like, where's, where's this holy man? Where, where's all this holy stuff? And again, in the subliminal of the message that God is speaking to him, God is saying, Naaman, trust me. God is speaking through this prophet, even in a subliminal way, to this pagan from the enemies of God who's raided and stole their stuff. And God is saying, yeah, to you, Naaman, Trust me. Trust me. Listen, I'm going to make you do something that's weird. And this may seem goofy. And this may seem hard. And you may not like what I'm telling you. And you may not like what I'm saying to you. And you may think that this is all goofy. But I want you to know that even though you've traveled across the country and even though you've done some things, you know, you've got this letter, you've got all this stuff going on and, and God's saying, trust me. And he's saying, that, he's saying, go find the river. Amen. Go find the river of God's people. Go find the river that Jesus will be baptized in. Go find the river. No, don't go to one of the rivers in your pagan nation. I want you to go in front of the people who love the God of the Bible, who worship the God of the Bible, and publicly humble yourself. And don't just take one bath in the river. I want you to take seven baths in the river. How humiliating. I mean, first off, that would be like, I don't want to do that. No, this is tough. I, this, is, this is, is offensive to me. I don't like that. And second, do you ever think, and I don't know, this is just my own thoughts, but having a skin disease in a very dry country would be painful in itself. I would imagine, because when, when I have a, an abrasion, I remember one time wiping out, doing uh, these cart races, and I wiped out, and I skinned myself up. I had to get in the shower, 
And every single place that I had an abrasion, it, it showed up. I mean, with pain. I can only imagine that getting in the water for a leper would have been painful. To get in, get out, and then to get in. Not only was God asking him to do something uncomfortable, but now God's asking him to do something that for Naaman was going to be painful. You ever found that God led you into areas where, man, this is really uncomfortable? And sometimes, you know, Naaman's like, wait a second. I came to be delivered from my pain. Not to receive more pain. Come on, anybody walked that road before? I'm not looking for more pain. I'm looking to be taken completely out of it all. As a leper, it couldn't have been feeling good to get in and out of the water, in and out of the water. And so Naaman was angry. Again, you know why he was angry? Because God didn't meet me on my terms. God didn't do things the way I think God should do it. And he wasn't going to do it that way, God, because he loves him. And he loves you. And God will take you through times to bring you to a place of humility where he will humble you and bring you to a place of trusting in him where we can learn obedience. Even, church, even when it doesn't make sense. And he will lead us into these places. And listen, this is, what, this is what he says in verse 12. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? And again, these are questions that we have. Why do I got to go to that country? Why do I got my own country? Oh, this is one that people will say all the time. Why do I have to go to those people? I got my own people. God, why do I have to go to church? I got my people on the bar stool. Sometimes God's calling you and he's saying, you know what? You need to go to a new place. You need to go do something new. I got my people though. No, you know what? God's calling you to something he's called you to. We've got our rivers. No, you need the river of God. You know, we got our own gods. No, you need the Lord God. We have our own religion. I know, and it's not right. But we've got our own thoughts. We've got our own ways. We've got our own ideas. We have our own understanding. And God says, I know, and it's all wrong. That's why I'm calling you to this. So Naaman, go to the Jordan. Do what I'm telling you to do. And it says, could I not wash in there and be clean? This is what God's getting at. This isn't about the water. It's not about the outside. Naaman, this isn't about the leprosy. Naaman, this is about your heart. The leprosy, that's no big deal. Your heart, and that's the only thing you got to volunteer to give up. And you have to give that to me. Naaman, I'm not at, listen, the healing, no big deal. Your heart, that's the big deal. And God's after his heart. He's not, he, he'll clean him, but he's like, he's wanting him to walk in faith. He's wanting him to learn humility. He's wanting him to come into obedience. 
because he wants his heart. He wants to save him. And Naaman, I don't want that. And it says, he turns and he went away in rage. It's like, I'm the guy that's in charge here. I'm not taking orders. You know, again, this is what we sometimes struggle with. He thinks that he should get to do it his way, not some weird way that he doesn't understand. But verse 13, but his servant, and again, this little slave, none of the other, none of the, it doesn't say that any of the other, you know, officers said anything to him. It doesn't mean anybody else, but this one little servant kid. I wondered if he might not be another one of those that were kidnapped. Now he's just carrying the money. And this kid, this little kid, this servant, comes and says, my father, not that he was his dad, but it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He's like, hey, uh, Naaman, he said go to the river. So maybe, I mean, could it be that might be a good idea? Maybe you should go to the river because you are a leper. Maybe you should do this. Oh, and people, people, you know, again, people come to church and still today, I, you know, they'll hear a message and they'll hear Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus Christ is the, there is no other way to heaven. You know, we'll, we'll quote the scriptures and read the scriptures and, and people will, you know, have a need. And so they come into church and they'll still, they'll hear that message and they'll go, but you know what? I don't believe in Jesus. But but you're going to hell. Well, but I don't want Jesus. I don't want that. I want my way. But you're going to hell. Well, I don't believe in hell. You're still going to hell. Maybe, just maybe, you should check out some of these other options. Just saying. And Naaman's like, I don't want to go to the river. But you're a leper. I don't want to go to the river. But you have leprosy. I don't want to go to the river. But the prophet said the only way to get rid of this situation is to go to the river. Just like Jesus said, the only way to get rid of the problem of sin is to come to Jesus. Amen. That's how it works. And church, either we do it his way or things don't go good for us. Amen. In fact, things will go very bad. And that's what he said here. And, and so he says, he, he has actually said to you, wash and be clean. Yeah, that's what he said. So do it. And in verse 14, we, we see this change of heart, this place of repentance. He says, so, the, the, and, and in this place, he's going, all right. I think it's the same thing, the story that was in the New Testament where the father went to his first son and said, son, I want you to go out in the field and work. And the, and the son said, okay, dad, 
and didn't go. And then he went to his second son and said, son, go out into the field and work. And he said, no. Yet he then went out and did what the father said. Which one did the will of the father? So think of who he's telling this story to. These people who thought they were the good sons. And finally, Naaman's like, okay, I don't understand. I don't realize. I don't, I don't like this. I don't, I'm not used to taking orders. I'm used to giving orders. I, I, don't, I don't like this, but okay, I'm going to go take seven baths in the Jordan River. And so him and the entourage, the whole posse, they go down, and he dips himself seven times in the Jordan River. Now, I'm thinking, I wonder at what point he started to feel silly. Four? Four? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. Dips in, gets out. All right. Dips in, gets out. Dips in, gets out. Dips in, gets out. This isn't working. I'm sure that there was this place where he was going, this God stuff doesn't work. Man, you ever been in a place where God was calling you to something? God was calling you into some time of intense prayer and, and we got into that time of intense prayer only to get to a point where this isn't working. And we quit. I imagine Naaman was feeling silly. And not only that, the people of Israel were, I'm sure, standing around and watching this. Why is this guy in this entourage here? And they're watching him go in and out. You know, and they're, you know, again, they're, they don't really know probably the whole story of that, but they're watching this going, isn't that the guy that kidnapped our kids? I, I, can't, I can't believe, what a joke. I can't believe Elisha got him to do that. What an idiot. Hey, listen, you know what? Religious people, when you're doing what God has called you to do, religious people will think you look like an idiot. And so he dips himself in, dips himself in. And then, so he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. And according to the word of the man of God, again, the, the scripture, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Come unto, come unto the Lord as a little child. Amen. Baby smooth skin. And how much money did it cost him? How much did Elisha take? He didn't take anything. And later on, read the rest of the story. Because the rest of it is so cool. You know what, Naaman? Naaman comes to realize that the Lord of Elisha is greater than his Lord. In fact, it comes to where Elisha won't even take any money. And what he wants, let me just take some dirt so that I can take the dirt back and always worship, no matter where I am. Listen, some of you need to understand, you need to take some of the dirt from church and go out wherever it is that you are and realize that where you are, you're worshiping the Lord God because he's called you there. He's called you into that place. And Naaman went back believing in the Lord God of Israel. Naaman basically got saved. Amen. And one of his servants goes and, and chases down when Naaman's leaving, he chases him down and says, hey, but by the way, that cash. 
how about just a little, bud? And so he takes two talents, and it literally, he's got $100 million and he, he, he ends up with about $100,000 worth of coin. And he goes back, and he lies to Elisha. And Elisha, don't lie to the prophet of God. <laughs> and the prophet knows he's lying, and basically ends up that Gehazi has, hey, from, from this point forward, Gehazi, you and your descendants you will all be afflicted with the leprosy that Naaman was healed of. All because of greed. Church, greed, this, is, this is just a byproduct of the sermon. Greed will make you sick. Don't make yourself sick. So, in wrapping up, back to Luke 4, Jesus is telling this story to who? He's telling this story to a bunch of religious people in Nazareth in a synagogue to those who know him the best. And how do they respond when he tells them about this poor pagan widow or this powerful pagan warrior from a foreign country? How do they respond? In verse 28, when they heard these things, all, the synagogue, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. This provoked them to wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. I, I, I wrote, I was going through that. It's like, so Jesus... You're saying that us decent, moral, heterosexual, Republican, tithing, life group attending, Bible reading, homeschooling, decent, upright, moral citizens, that in the sight of God, we are more needy than the pagan widow, that our sins are more disgusting than the leprosy on that, that, that beast, that we need provision more than her, and we need healing more than him? Is that what you're saying? That can't be. Why? Because we're the good guys. Oh, man, how easy does it become for us to, I'm the good guy. And they're like, how could we possibly, you mean you're telling us that we have something to, be, to learn from these bad guys? You mean we, the people of Israel, we, the elect, we, the Jews, you're telling me that we have something to learn from a pagan widow and a pagan warrior? Are you really telling us that? And Jesus goes after their religion. He absolutely goes, and the religious people, as the religious people often do, the religious people would rather kill Jesus than kill their religion. In church, there's a big difference between religion and Jesus. You see, religion is all about what you do for God. Jesus is all about what God does for you. Religion is about how you earn the favor of God. Jesus is about how God gives you the righteousness and favor as a gift. Religion is about how you earn the favor of God. Religion is about how you become proud of your accomplishments, how you become proud of your good works, Religion is about how you become ecstatic with how good you are. Jesus is about how we become proud of his works in our place. Of what he did for us. 
And church, it's sad that many in church today are still deeply religious. And religion? Religion is the enemy of Jesus. It really is. Religion? Religion will lead us to arrogance and pride and self-righteousness and judgmentalism. Religion will lead us into that place. Religion was intended to make you and I know that we know that we know that we can't do anything about the problem we have and we need a Savior. And religion, when religion takes the place of the Savior and becomes the Savior to do what it does not have the ability to do in our lives, and we put all of our eternal hope in the religion, then we have allowed that religion to become what Jesus said, I am the only way. And therefore, it begins to do what it does not have the power to do, to say, I will save you. And religion can't save us. That's why we talk about sin. We talk about religion in this way because they are, in that way, the enemies of Jesus. And in this situation here, their sin is religion. And so what do they decide? They decide they're gonna kill Jesus. They're gonna take him and, again, do what they did to the prophets because that's what they did to the prophets. They killed him. And so they wanna take Jesus, the prophet, the word of God, and they wanna throw him off a cliff. And the word says somehow, again, it doesn't tell us how, but somehow he walks through the crowd and goes away. Worship team, come on back up, would you? He walks through the crowd and goes away, which made me think, does there any evidence in Scripture that Jesus ever went back to Nazareth? I, I couldn't find any. He never went back to the place where they were the most familiar with him because they refused to receive him as he is. He's gone. He was the prophet without honor in his own hometown. And Nazareth lost the opportunity to receive Jesus as Christ because they were so familiar with him. Church, this was a tragic moment in the history of Nazareth. You know that even still today, Nazareth is a very religious, cultic place. It's 90, 95% Muslim. They still reject Jesus there. They still want to kill Jesus there. They still want their religion. They missed this opportunity. Do you know they could have been the hub of, I mean, Jesus Central. They could have been the place that would have launched the ministry of Jesus. This could have been a great and wonderful time had they received Jesus, the prophet, the very word of God. But they refused him. And he walked away from them, never to come back. Church, don't let their tragedy become your tragedy. Today is the day of salvation. No man is promised tomorrow. That's where this is vitally important. This is why I stand up here and I'm telling you the things I'm telling you. Don't fall back on any kind of religious patterns or, and systems that you think are going to work. 
This is all about Jesus and you. And Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. There is, he, is the, he is the righteousness of God. And he's poured his life out for you and for me. That we could accept by grace what he has done for us. And there is not a religious formula to that. There is a relationship to it. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ, don't continue to refuse him because you don't understand or because it seems weird because it's just not what I grew up with. Those people grew up with Jesus. His ways are higher than ours. And no man's promised tomorrow, no matter how familiar we are with Jesus. Will you bow your heads? Will you pray with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those today that are apart from you, that don't know you as the Lord and Savior of their lives. I pray that they would call out to you. And just do that now. If you don't know salvation, just say, Jesus, I need you. The Bible says if we will call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Therefore, Lord, I call upon your name. I give you my heart, Lord, and I ask, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I repent. I need to quit. I need to stop. I need to hear you. I need to, I need to go to my Jordan River. I need to do what you've called me to do, Lord. And I receive you today. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And even if it feels weird, Lord, I say, come into my life. Come into my life. And while your heads are bowed, the rest of... Let me just, I just want to finish by asking you some questions that you can leave this place today contemplating in your own heart. What has God spoken to you about doing that you just don't want to do? Oh, I know there's something in every one of us. What has God spoken to you about doing that you continually refuse. Nope, not giving it up, not stopping, not quitting. Nope, not going there, God. What has God told you not to do? And you just keep doing it. See, you, you need to come to the conclusion as to what those answers are in your life. They're different than the answers in my life. It's because God has a personal relationship with each and every one of us. But as we leave, we have to decide, what will I do with what God has said? Will I leave this place and go to the Jordan? Or will I just head back to Syria? What will you do with the word of the Lord? Lord, have your way in each and every heart, in each and every life. Have your way. In all my life you have been faithful. He shows himself to be true and faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. 
to Naaman. to the widow Yeah.